The Very Serious Crafts Podcast is now on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash seriouscrafts to support our podcast and get early access to episodes, find out about our unfiltered patron-only off-week episodes, and more. You're listening to the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. We're very serious crafters, and we craft very serious crafts. Very serious. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 15 of the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. I'm Molly from Wild Olive. And I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Bones and Bobbins Podcast. And Heidi is taking a little break this week, so it'll be just us. Yes. Yeah. And today we'll be talking about quilts and flowers. That's it. <laughs> just just quilts and flowers. Just quilts and flowers. Mm-hmm. I Also, I just, I think, like, we've talked plants a lot on the podcast lately, but this is actually a little different than that. It's not just like your typical flowers, so... I think it will be fun uh, that actually it's fun that we both happened to land on quilt and flowery things. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't even read yours when I, I was looking at mine. So, yeah, it, it all Which worked I, out. Uh, kind of love. Yeah. Yeah. So how's it going, Molly? So on Sunday, I was getting ready to do some sewing and decided to be a very good, very serious crafter. Oh, and I, and again, I'd been doing some bulk sewing and I thought I should probably clean out my sewing machine. This would be yeah. the smart thing to do, right? That's what serious crafters do. Um, mm-hmm. it, and that's what that little brush is for that came with your sewing machine. Exactly. Exactly. And goodness knows I've cleaned sewing machines before. Well, this time mm-hmm. was a little different. I don't know if maybe I hadn't cleaned the new sewing machine that I got recently. Like, I haven't used it tons, but I yeah, I don't know if I had, if this was the first time I was actually cleaning this sewing machine. I got it in November or December, like, I don't know, what is that now? Eight months ago? Um, nine months ago? I don't know. Time is weird. Um, eh, time doesn't exist. It's fine. Uh, so this, maybe this was the first time I was trying to take all of the things apart in the bobbin casing area but i could not get the bobbin casing out i watched multiple Mm. videos could not get it out finally Mm. i said mom what am i doing wrong have you try this she couldn't get it out well finally it pops out fine good clean the whole thing out it actually wasn't all that dirty it's all good i'm fine (laughs) now it won't go back in again trying all the things again watching all the videos won't goes in part way stuck like wedged in the thing and I had have you <laughs> tried applying a bit of oil to the outside of it I have not tried that it's it's all back together now it did in fact suddenly pop in oh so you did get I did get it but I was That's like weird it was so weird and I was I had this moment of am I going to need to bring this into a professional because I'm afraid I was afraid that if I messed with it too much, I would end up forcing it and doing real damage. And yeah, it was, I just felt so like, what's the matter with me <laughs> that I can't just do this simple thing. But 
what I found is on my, I have a singer heavy duty. That's what I, I bought for just churning out sewing things. And yeah. And what I read is that actually that it, it's tricky to get that bobbin casing in and out. Um, but it was like, well, at least it's not well, just you. I, yes. But I do. I, now I'm a little concerned about going forward, how I'm going to manage to keep this clean and not go crazy. So if, if any I think listeners you'll probably have get model, the feel of it. I hope so. I hope so. And I, maybe it's even just like the more that it goes in and out, it will get, it will just be a little bit easier too. I don't know. Uh, if any listeners but have yeah, this sometimes machine. sometimes that's the case. Yeah. If you've got tips, uh, I would welcome them. But yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, all is well again. But it was, it was a moment <laughs> of sewing machine panic almost. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yes, because you've had a lot of bulk sewing to do lately. I I have. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's all. Well, <laughs> if it makes you feel better or worse, I'm not sure which. I don't actually know how to clean my Bernina sewing machine. Oh. I can take... I can take any other machine i can take a mechanical machine completely apart and put it back together and it will be fine yeah but i am so afraid to screw up this extremely expensive sewing machine yeah (laughs) that i am just pretending (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i i need to do that and uh (laughs) i I'm outing myself right now. To be fair, I have been writing cross-stitch books almost the entire time I've had it. Yes. So it hasn't seen a lot of use. Yes. But still. Yeah. That actually, that makes me feel a lot better. Anyway, what else are you up to? So... You know how, uh, I don't know, a few episodes ago probably, I talked about rolling beeswax candles and how I was really excited about having finally tried it? Yes. Well, I am finding, and this may have more to do with the quality of materials that I am using. I'm not sure if there's variation here um, in beeswax sheets. Um, yeah, but sounds like a possibility, definitely. Yeah, it 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 does. Um, it feels like there's an unnecessary unnecessary amount of brittleness mm. to the candles that I'm trying to roll, and the more I mess with them, um, which <laughs> the more I hold them like I'm rolling a joint, um. <laughs> Okay. The less or the more pliable they get because obviously yeah. wax and when you warm it up. Yeah. Um, so I decided that there had to be a tool for this. That there must be like a beeswax sheet warmer for people who do yeah. candle making like as a thing. There does not seem to be. Which leads me to believe that the quality of wax that I'm using is, um, well, subpar. And it was gonna be. It was a kid's kit. 
Um, but I have nice, nice wax for yeah. for later. But I still feel like it would do that if it were cold out, and like even nice yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I went looking for a solution um, on the internet in the wee hours of the morning, <laughs> and started looking at items that are made to keep food warm on the table. Oh. And yeah. I couldn't find one with actual temperature settings. Um just they just had like high, low, medium. Some of them didn't even have warm and I think warm is probably even more than yeah. I want. But I found this uh, it, it's a rock of some sort, like a, a slab. I it might yeah. be granite. I don't know. It's something that must not have um have metal in it because it microwaves. But you microwave okay. this thing as long as you want to to get it to the warmth that you desire, and then it holds on to that warmth. And so I'm thinking that if I let my wax pieces just chill on that for a second before I roll candles, that that will solve my problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so we shall see. It's an experiment. It's a science I, experiment, even. I I am I'm excited about that because... Those things can always be... There's got to I mean, be something for can, this, though. There, it, there's got to be an actual tool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you think about... Like, there's... There are... You can buy, like, the little wax-melting pots. Well, yeah. You and really I, don't... I, you don't need a specific tool that melts wax, but, like, yet we have that. So it seems like... Yeah. Uh, there right. should be... Or at least the like most typical procedure for warming these sheets you know like what is everybody doing well maybe they're not i i just don't know but looking <laughs> maybe. at maybe candles that i have purchased hmm. from others they do not seem to have that sort of first roll breakage that I'm seeing, and I mean it's wax, yeah. so you can squish it back together. It's it is not a deal breaker. It's right. I don't know, listeners. If if you know about a tool or whether I just have really really bad wax, which is certainly true, um, let me know. I I need to know. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that is uh <laughs> that is what's happening in my life right now. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet because I'm kind of scared. <laughs> uh, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Really? I'll burn myself. You won't burn yourself. I might. That, nah, nah, that won't happen. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, well. Uh, but before we, before we continue on in our discussions, we want to give a shout out to some new serious friends of the Very Serious Crafts podcast, who are now supporting us at patreon.com slash serious crafts. Many thanks to Charlotte, Samantha, and Casey. You are the best. We appreciate you so much. Wait, wait, I think I have a pop culture reference. Oh? Aren't Charlotte and Samantha characters in Sex in the City? 
I don't know. They are. I've never seen it. I did not watch that show, but I know that. Yeah. (laughs) But there are many tours um, based on it, and I live here. So, um, anyway, I'm I'm just deciding that it's those characters. Okay. That works. (laughs) I like it. I like it. So, let me tell you about... This is where we're starting on our first quilt uh, element here in the in the topics. And um, this started with me hearing about some quilts that were on display in a community college. And they like referenced a specific quilt and I wanted to find out more about it. I failed miserably at finding more information. About this <laughs> but what I did find is an article from the Billings Gazette. Billings, Montana, uh, and is about a woman. Her name is, I believe the pronunciation is Debbie Descharlais, and she is a member of the, the Assiniboine tribe in Montana, and she designs Native American quilt cards. She's a graphic designer, and she has used a traditional um, quilt design. Like stationary cards. cards? Yes. Like, um, hmm. like greeting cards. They're just blank cool. on the inside. Um, and they are, it's called the, the quilt pattern that, that is on the front is the morning star quilt pattern, which you, you know, quilters will immediately recognize. Yes. It's beautiful. Um, and yeah. So the article talks about how she has taken that quilt design and brought it to what she does, which is graphic design. And she's patterned, she's used the colors that are in quilts that her family has owned and so on. And I, I loved it. And I then wanted to do a little bit more digging into kind of the history of those quilts in, um, Native American culture and so on. And she referenced that, um, she referenced that, that, that quilting basically was brought to these tribes from missionaries who taught, who taught them, um, how to quilt. But Hmm. it happened around the same time that, um, they could no longer be hunting buffalo for, they would traditionally in, in ceremonies, they would drape a buffalo hide over um, someone's shoulders and they couldn't do that anymore. And so then they used quilts in place of that. And so now that is like the traditional way of um, giving a blessing or like passing, you know, in these ceremonies, they use a morning star quilt on uh, to, to drape over someone's shoulders. Interesting. So. I just was, I was really, I was really delighted by the whole thing and how they, um, you know, it's, people use uh, crafts of different kinds, you know, always, definitely quilting. There's often a lot of symbolism that you can work into a piece that you make. And that's exactly what they do with. Yeah, they they do it with colors and fabrics and it's beautiful. And I, so then I, I, you know, I looked further and um, found first a, an article from the Smithsonian Magazine that I'm going to link, I'll link all this stuff in the show notes, but this one has like some beautiful photos from a display that they had um, 
now this goes back years. I can't remember exactly how many years, but, um, there's, there's pictures there and they talk with some of the, um, the creators of the quilts. But then when you like, when you want to go full on very serious crafts, (laughs) I, uh, I, I found this is, this is my kind of person. There's a woman, her name is Kim Elise Taylor, and she did this mega academic paper while at University of Montana. And if you really want to get into like the academic side of quilt making and Native American culture regarding quilt making, you should read her paper, which I have... I'm, full disclosure, I have not read the whole paper because it's 110 pages on this topic, which makes my heart nice. very happy, actually. <laughs> um, and so she she interviewed um, women. It's primarily women who um, are, are making the quilts, and she interviewed them and learned all about these different things. Um, ironically, one of the women that she talked with is Swedish. But she is married to someone who is part of the Assiniboine tribe. And so she has... Okay. She has, like, become part of the tradition in that way, which was uh, interesting in itself. That Um, is interesting. Do you know when the missionaries would have brought that over? Um, It was later than you than I was just wondering if the buffalo thing was because the herds had been overhunted and were gone. That's it yes. That's that's the the biggest connection. I think it's probably not 100% that and I obviously I've just sort of despite finding 110 pages on this, I've skimmed the surface so I don't want to um get into No, that's fine. anything that requires, yeah. Um but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> no, no, it's it's fine. Yeah, I I don't want to like misquote the the thing, um, but yeah, yeah, I I have learned about this also um, from an in a Native American studies class in college. Um, yeah, okay. Let me see here, because it's obviously different. Um, different tribes have have embraced this. It's not just like this paper is about oh, sure. the Assiniboines, but. Um, the Sioux of South Dakota, it says, initially adopted the patchwork star pattern for their quilts at the turn of the century. And by the mm-hmm. 1920s, the Sioux on Fort Peck Reservation were making star quilts as well. So Fort Peck Reservation is where this is, um, uh, focused on this particular study. Um, but yeah, so, and it, it ended up, those were the That is more recent that, than I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, um these are the two groups that initially um learned and were were um embracing the the this quilt pattern but it basically has been spread to many other groups and they've kind of embraced it as a symbol uh within native american culture now i think it's so cool i think that's lovely they're i mean they're really beautiful they're really beautiful um, and those quilts are hard to make well. Yeah. Oh, but I did read like one woman who she can make one of these now in six hours. I'm not, I, I don't know what all that includes. 
that's like, I don't know, is that all, is that from start to finish or is that like piecing the quilt top? I don't know. I, I heard that and I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I she must be supplying to the tourist trade, I would guess. But I was just thinking about matching all those points. I know. I know. But I also, I saw, it, you know, when I was looking through these things, I saw variations on it that I've never seen mm-hmm. before. That I, cool. again, gorgeous. So highly recommended to um, do at least a bit of skimming of the photos that are in some of these resources. So, yeah. But also, yeah, that's awesome. do look at, do look at um, the person's um, note cards because they're, I mean... They're the cards that quilters should be using for all of their correspondence. All right, now I have to. Look. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, like die cut. They're beautiful. The yeah, yeah. So, I, I want some. Yeah, I guess I can probably acquire some from you, you can from this. They're woman. on her website. Yeah. Cool. I I am very excited to support this particular thing oh yes my grandma will be so excited that i (laughs) I love it have written her something maybe she'll be excited (laughs) enough to stop trolling me about my name um my uh my grandmother who i love dearly um when she wants to poke at me will address things to mrs jeremy cox um (laughs) Oh, dear. And, I mean, this is a woman who was the valedictorian of her graduating class, but had to take salutatorian because it couldn't, because I they see. gave valedictorian to the boy. So, like, yeah. she's not, <laughs> uh, and she's still mad. So, <laughs> and she's 84. So, she's going to stay mad, I think about that um so she really is just poking at me and (laughs) maybe if i wrote her more often she would um be less pokey (laughs) (laughs) i think you should definitely sign the card as mrs jeremy cox just to really um with a flourish yes anyway (laughs) that that took a turn i wasn't expecting but those I'm yeah. so glad that you brought those note cards to my attention because I am definitely going to order some. Yeah, that is my plan as well. All right. So, again, on the subject of quilts that kind of blow our minds, um, the American Folk Art Museum, which is here in New York City, posted a photo of a quilt called the Freedom Quilt, which I was lucky enough to see in person at, I think, a 2014 quilt exhibit. But uh, this quilt is so interesting and so bold and so modern, but also so meaningful that like you can't help but want to know more immediately so i think that the 
best thing I can do to do this particular quilt justice. And it will be linked in the show notes. And I will also link the Instagram photo that reminded me of it from earlier this summer um, from the American Folk Art Museum. But Mm -hmm. I think that reading the intended label is the best way to really give you an idea of what this quilt is and where it comes from. Yes. So first, I'm just going to describe it a little bit um, before I read it. But this is a quilt with a bold red background, and it's um, it has white binding. And most of the background of each square is red, but the corners of each square have, like, it has white corners. Um, and yeah. the quilt says in bold, and I can't tell if they're black or navy, because it seems to have been a quilt that was used. Um, but it says yes in uppercase, Bold letters directly across the entire quilt, row by row. Freedom, 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 freedom. And it is so eye-catching and so moving to look at that, like, it, it stopped me in my tracks when I saw it in person. I needed to know more. And I yeah. had assumptions about what I, where I thought it probably came from, which was largely correct. Uh, but wow, it's it's such a beautiful example of how something so simple can make such a bold statement and be so meaningful. Um, So I'm going to read the actual description from the museum curators because I think that does it the most justice. When Jesse Telfair invoked the power of a single word repeated over and over in this quilt, she knew the word would reverberate through the history of the United States. Back to the peculiar institution, in quotes, of slavery and the freedom that she was still struggling to attain in the 1960s at the beginning of the civil rights movement. The making of the quilt um, was incited by an incident she suffered in those years when registering to vote was enough to cost this African-American woman her job in a school kitchen. The bitterness of that experience still burned years later, and fellow quilt makers urged her to express the pain through her art. Worked in the colors of the American flag, the quilt cries freedom. In a subtle metaphor, Telfair has set each repeated letter in its own block. All are visually related, but no two are alike. And um, the title of this quilt is Freedom Quilt. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it seems to have been made in 1983 in Parrot, Georgia. And this week was the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And that is this week when we're recording, not yeah. this week when you hear this. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you guys probably know that I wrote a book called Feminist Stitches. And the first pattern in that book is um, a Votes for Women banner. Yeah. And it was really important to me then, when I wrote the book, to note that this was the anniversary that most white women right. got the vote. And that it wasn't until the Civil Rights Act of 1965 that some women became enfranchised. Well, and, and I, just, I just even learned that in between that, there were other groups of women that for the first time got the right to vote. For example, Chinese-American women got the the right before yeah. black Americans did. So I, mm-hmm. and yeah. I believe native American women also. Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't, there may even be several other um, groups within that, but yeah, it's yes. the fact that it was 1965 though is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's almost within my living memory. Like I was born 18 years after that. Yeah. It's within our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents' very real living yes. memories. Yes. And that that's really upsetting to think about. And so when revisiting this quilt, I, I just happened to stumble across the image that I had saved when I was looking for inspiration for topics and then reading about how the civil rights movement tied into the making of this quilt that I found so striking and so beautiful. Um, It just seemed like really, really solid timing to be mindful that there are still barriers today. Yeah. And that I feel like this this quilt could do a lot of things. It can be a symbol of fact. It can be a symbol of hope. It can be a symbol of aspiration. But it can also be a symbol of judgment and Mm -hmm. a symbol of shame on you. And... I, it seems to me as it was made channeling the energy of a woman who lost her job because she registered to vote, that it probably encompasses most, if not all of those things. Yeah. I obviously don't know her and therefore cannot ask and she has passed away, but, um, Oh, it might be interesting to note that Jesse B. Telfair was born in 1913 
and died in 1986. Yeah. So she made this quilt. Yeah. That she made this in her very last few years is like, I'm, I'm so thankful that she listened to those people around her that said do this and she made it happen. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I have to show and my I sister. And I wanted to talk about this for so long. Yeah. I have to show my my sister, um my youngest sister um she sews and does craft things and all those kinds of things and um she was in, yes uh when we were discussing the uh 100th anniversary of the right to vote, she was the person who mm-hmm. like jumped into the conversation and was like, oh yeah, I, you know, she was all aware of the anniversary and we hadn't talked about it prior to that. She just, it was on her radar and it made me very like, good. She's not old enough to vote yet, but I was like, good. We're, she's, she's into this already. And I was like, because, you know, when you have younger siblings, uh, you're always like, as the, the person who's, hoping that the next generation essentially because we're very far apart age-wise um you're hoping that they're um gonna engage in things as well and um it was like that first sign of her engaging in it and i um i look forward to showing her this she'll like it oh yes i i imagine that she will uh on the subject of the kids are probably hopefully going to be all right and engaged and actually aware of history in a way that, well, we and previous generations seem to not be. Um, I think that anyone interested in that should also check out the Social Justice Sewing Academy, which is this amazing amazing group that fosters creativity largely through quilt blocks but also embroidery um i think sometimes paper yeah they're they do a whole lot but um it's all like social justice and being aware of history and fighting for justice for people who don't necessarily get it. And so they are definitely someone to check out. Um, And on Instagram, it is SJS Academy. And I really, really learn a lot from looking or from just reading what the kids have to say and what they're making. Yeah, it's it's really moving because it's kids taking from their everyday lives and sometimes as an adult, it's really easy to not see that. And especially as an adult who does not have younger siblings like you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Thank you for thank you for uh, highlighting the, the freedom quilt and. And more. It's all good to to take in. Not always easy to take in, but good to take in. So, no, it's it's not easy, and it's complicated, and it's hard to do justice. Yep. And I'm a white woman, and it's it's something 
that as a white woman, I feel like especially other white women need to come into contact with. Yeah. And bringing awareness in this way is like one of the least things that we can do. And yes, it that needs to be done. So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, shall we transition to flowers? Oh, why not? For our first, for our first, uh, bit of, of flower craft related fun. Floral frippery? Yeah, sure. That. (laughs) Um, so back like when we recorded, I think the very first episode of this podcast, I talked about a, a craft themed magic trick because my oh yeah my dad is a magician (laughs) just how it is right um and (laughs) it's a weird it's still weird to say but yeah so we used to it's pretty much every summer magician yeah again i'm just gonna go full-on weird here but every summer we would go to a magic convention as a family it was like a whole camp cool. kind of a thing. Sometimes at a literal camp. Other years later on, it was at um, like a college campus or a hotel kind of a situation. Well, one year. That sounds really fun. It it was a whole thing. They would do like classes during the day. And of course, you had like a dealer room. And then you had evening a shows. dealer room. <laughs> I know. That sounds terrible. But it was, you know, where your magic dealers were dealing. Uh, and I would occasionally help with understand. those who, you know, friends of our family that were, that had, um, booths there. And, um, yeah. And then it would all, every night would have an evening show where people would perform their routines and all of this thing. Um, honestly, I have such fond memories of going to this convention as like a young teen. Uh, it was, I really did love it. Well, one year there was a class that was being offered and, Normally, classes were just included in your whole membership, but this one you had to pay to take, and I actually paid to take this class. Again, I was probably maybe middle school, maybe, right. you know, 10 or 11 even, and I paid I'm to take this. I'm picturing middle school Molly, and yes. she's adorable. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I paid to take this class that was being presented by someone who had gone to a magic manufacturer that makes the magic appearing flowers. So you know when like the magician oh, pulls... I have one. Yes. Okay. I have so one right behind me. Those flowers, when you know they are pulled from someone's sleeve uh, or other, you know. Yeah. Ooh, mine you can light on fire. Ooh. Very <laughs> very dangerous. I, very it's dangerous. It's the only magic it. trick I know. Okay. It's making a, uh, a f- flower a rose disappear on fire oh very nice um well anyway, most sorry. of the time those carry on the, the appearing <laughs> uh flowers are made of feathers and this particular company it was like proprietary information on how they made their flowers and this person had gone they had been able to tour and got they got permission to share information on how to make them and they taught this class and so we're in a room they dumped out bags full of feathers which you sorted through to find the right ones and then they demonstrated how to make these flowers and 
they are, you know, <laughs> these are handcrafted feather flowers. And I, I can't really find, I mean, if you've seen, like, if you know any, like, have any frame of reference for magicians, you could picture these flowers, I'm sure. Um, I was... Yeah. Yeah. They're either feathers or silk. Right. Or fake silk. Feathers, the reason that feathers work really well is because they compress down and they, you know... Yes. You know, they they can be hidden and all of that. Uh, But they also, they can have a, a more realistic appearance to them when you do them with feathers. And I will say, like, I one time told this other magician that our family knows, I mentioned in passing that I had learned this special technique from Abbott's magic on how to make their feather flowers. He hounded me for years trying to get that information from me. And I wasn't, (laughs) I was not actually trying to withhold it from him. I just didn't have like all of my notes. I never could find them again. But yeah, he was just like, he was ruthless trying to um, get uh, secret information from like a teenager. Uh, But anyway, I didn't find obviously any specifics on how these flowers are made by this company, which doesn't even make them anymore. Um, But I found a really cool video on YouTube that I think it was like a little mini documentary, probably made in the 60s. It's British and they show how to make other flowers and because people would use them in their decor. And so in this video, you can see some of the process Again, not exactly the same as what I learned, but very close. You know, it just is the basic flower assembly is is the same thing. And so um, I will link to it in the show notes because it's one of those like it's very I found a couple videos. This one is colorized or shot in color, but like is that that distinct 1960s color? It's very (laughs) it's very tranquil to watch and listen to. So I love everything about how you described it. (laughs) Uh, Highly recommended. So, yeah. I mean, and they're talking about, like, some of the flowers that they make in this could take, like, an hour to make a single bloom. It's, yeah. It is definitely a craft, a very serious craft in itself. So I just thought I would... I had no idea it was such an art. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get into, like, shaping and sculpting and... There's wiring and there's all the things, but um, yeah, watch the video cool. at your leisure. <laughs> oh, I am on it. Not on the video. Yeah. That would be awkward. <laughs> um, and I'm not a time traveler. Probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> you never You don't know. want to rule anything out. I mean, maybe I just don't know yet. It's true. In this that's particular how, That's how time traveling works. You don't know yet. No, it depends on which direction in time I'm going. Exactly. And if I have a TARDIS. Okay. <laughs> now I'm going to dig myself out of the geek hole here. And I was, uh, I was just going on about loving magic conventions, so continue as needed. <laughs> but that's, they sound so much fun. They sound really similar to crafting conventions, frankly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I happened to but, just find um, the, the crafting, uh, actually, there were probably a lot of craft type lectures that you could go to, to learn how to make magic tricks and so on, because it's how they roll. Anyway. Oh, I'm sure. All right. So flowers? More flowers? <laughs> flowers. Okay. 
So, in another round of coincidences, which seem to have been sprinkled about all of our topics, Mm -hmm. just things that seem to have coincided and popped up, and it's a very um, serendipitous episode. Yes. Yes. Good word. Um, Thank you. So, I had been shopping for pressed flowers on Etsy because I wanted some for witch reasons. Sure. And I say that like I know, like, oh, of course. Like, I don't know. I'm just following along. Go ahead. (laughs) I just wanted them to look pretty on my altar in a container. There you go. That is the reason. There you go. Um, Yes. So... I was ordering all of these different pressed flowers and I was really skeptical about whether or not they had been dyed because they were so bright. Oh. And so when I finally got them, I mean, it's pretty clear when a flower's been dyed. So when I finally got them, none of them had been. Like, they were all just beautifully, beautifully, perfectly preserved. Wow. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, I've done this poorly before. Like, so poorly. Um, So I went down a rabbit hole on flower pressing. And at the, uh, that very day, actually... I also had forgotten that I was attending a lecture, a video lecture, from the Merchant's House Museum, which is an amazing local, um, completely intact Victorian home uh, in New York, if you ever happen to be around. I think I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And... um, I will take you the next time okay. you're in the area. Okay. So, um, but the lecture was on the Victorian art of flower and seaweed pressing. And so I had just gone down this rabbit hole. Yeah. And then I was listening to this whole, like, history of bored Victorian women who were taking the water cure in upstate New York. Uh-huh. Um, doing all of this like seaweed and flower pressing and apparently it was really popular and like everybody had albums um, which were called herbariums okay um, or herbariums I'm unclear if we're pronouncing the H in this one uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and basically it was a nearly ubiquitous pastime of women in the summer, especially as um, travel memories. Okay, like, I like collecting that. specimens yeah. while traveling. Yeah, was a big part of it. Um, so I thought that was very interesting, and the Merchant's House Museum has the family herbariums. Oh, cool. and. Yeah, uh, both seaweed and flower. Oh. And 
Some of them are so, so well preserved. Some of them are less so because acid in paper and also being exposed to light, things like that. Um, And they also showed a page of Emily Dickinson's herbarium, Uh. which was which was beautifully preserved. Yeah. Like somebody got that into a climate control room immediately. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, since this whole collection that I was looking at um, from the family, all it just lives in the house. Um, it's a very old house. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not exactly temperature controlled and it's filled with antiques. And also, it was in the new Ghostbusters movie with with the ladies. Ah, it's I still it's the seen uh, that. first. It's the first place where they are and have to go into the basement. Okay. So, uh, just in case anyone has seen that, you may already know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, while looking at these and seeing how well preserved they were, and I happen to have an example of a friend's wedding flowers that are not as well preserved Mm -hmm. as I would have liked them to have been. I wanted to figure out why, like what what the difference was. I mean, I put them in tissue paper and put them in a gigantic German dictionary. Like, I feel like that should have done it. Yeah. But um, I guess... The issue is the flowers need to dry as quickly as possible or they brown. Like, that okay. is that is the deal. And so there are a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, to, like, speed up the drinks. Yeah. Yeah. Between bricks in a book, um, whatever. But... What you need to do is start with a really absorbent paper, but not paper towel, because that will um, leave marks. Uh, okay. Unless you want paper towel embossed flowers. I mean, that could but, be a thing. <laughs> yeah, so um, to start out, you can either do that, or you can literally... P- Press flowers with an iron. Um, I feel like which I've heard I, that, but... Huh. Well, I used to do it with wax paper. Um, yeah. And make... When I was a little kid, to make, like, fake stained glass to hang up. Sure. But, um, but this is not that. It's basically exactly what I do to dry my cross-stitch projects for books so So, quickly enough so the reds don't run there you go that makes sense (laughs) yeah and so i found all of these different ways apparently you can use a microwave what and there's a specific thing as a professional microwave flower press and yet you can't find something to just warm your beeswax sheets right (laughs) I mean, maybe that's what I need to warm my beeswax sheets. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I will link to all of this information on the many different ways to do that, uh, which I found 
in better homes and gardens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a flower press. I have like you know the kind of the traditional. It's got the you know the wood pieces at the top and the bottom, and you know the layers of yeah. I think mine has cardboard, and then you know the screws at the corner. I haven't really used it. Yeah, a lot, and uh, but um, hmm. and they're easy to make. I've I'm sure. also including a link of how to make those. But honestly, if you're doing something big, I think I might give it a little help with an iron first. Yeah. I I think I feel like I might combine the two. Yeah. Um, because. I was also really surprised that the obviously dried flowers that I got weren't brittle. Oh, that's They were pliable. That's very cool. Well, I guess... I mean, they were not, like, super... Like, I couldn't fold them or anything. But, like, I could put them in a bottle opening that was a bit smaller than they were. yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, so then, of course, I had to go down the rabbit hole of making flower presses, which is actually an easy thing to do, and um, they all basically look like exactly what yeah. you just said, Molly. Yeah. Um, except, of course, I found the one. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and guess from the name... And also from how it looks that it is a Japanese flower press. Okay. Um, but it looks like an accordion portfolio with ratchet belts. Oh. I- and I am so into it. Is that the is that the one you linked to on Amazon? Yes. Yeah. I'm very like, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. I mean, it just looks like, it looks like the one I would have. But yeah. also, um, a microwave press seems like a thing I should know about. <laughs> I, I feel like there are so many new things that I could do right now to make yeah. my grimoire very happy. And make my own personal herbarium. Yes. I think you should. And then I, w- I won't go into this. In the interest of time, but at some point I should, if you know, again, we've been taught, we've, flowers and plants have, have become a, uh, a regular occurrence on the podcast, but sometime I'll have to tell you about my experiments in flower hammering. Have you ever done this? What? Yeah. Uh, is it a, oh. a printing technique? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. We'll, we'll talk about it another time. It's really cool. Okay. It's really cool. All right. I'll, I'll find excited, examples that I and I hope okay. it's what I'm picturing. It's cool. Do I need a it's sledgehammer? Really cool. <laughs> I, I I don't think I've used a sledgehammer, but you could. You, you, I mean, they're flowers. We want to be a little delicate, but you'll like it. You, although, a whole different effect could be achieved. We'll talk about it another time. I can put it on the schedule for next time, even. It'll be good. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Great, I'm in. Uh, right. Yes. So on that note, I think we should wrap this up for mm-hmm. today. And uh, say thank you to all of you for listening to the Very Serious Crafts podcast. You can follow us yes. on Instagram and Twitter at, at Serious Crafts and on Facebook at Very Serious Crafts. You can also find show notes and all things Very Serious Crafts at VerySeriousCrafts.com. 
finally, if you are a fan of the Very Serious Crafts podcast, please leave us a five-star review on whichever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Good ratings help us show up in recommendations, which helps more people who love crafting find us. And yes, please. That would just be nice. So until next time, when we talk about more than just quilts and flowers. (laughs) Maybe. That's all. Maybe. Exactly. We can't guarantee that. (laughs) All right. Thanks, friends. Bye. Yes, bye.